0: A monument of murder stands high above the village of Elsden, in the remote moorlands of Northumberland. This stands as a reminder of a vicious murder which occurred in 1791, when a defenceless old lady was killed by three criminals, who wanted to steal her wares to make some easy money. They were caught and executed, and one of them had his body hung in a gibbet cage as a warning to others. It's believed that his ghost wanders the area where his body was picked clean by the wildlife, before his bones were unceremoniously thrown away. Tonight, join me as we head into the wilds of Northumberland and investigate Winter's Gibbet. Welcome to episode 26 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head into Northumberland and ask, just how haunted is winter's gibbet?
1: Listener discretion is advised
0: as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Since my new book, Illustrated Tales of Northumberland, has just been published by Ambly Publishing, I thought this week we'd look at one of the locations in it Winter's Gibbet. In a remote location, high up in the Elsden Moors, stands a monument to murder. Winters Gibbet, also known as Elsden Gibbet, stands atop a hill overlooking Harwood Forest, surrounded by moorland as far as the eye can see. It was built to commemorate a cowardly attack that occurred in 1791, when a kind old lady was brutally attacked and killed by William Winter and sisters Jane and Eleanor Clark. Margaret Crozier lived at Raw Peel Tower, two miles north of Elsdon, and she sold cloth from her home to make a living. She was known and liked in the area, to the point where locals would come and buy from her, even if they didn't need the items they bought, they just wanted to help her out with a little bit of money. Jane and Eleanor happened upon Margaret's home one day, and spoke to the old lady about what she had for sale. Margaret invited them inside, and as she talked through the wares she had for sale, the sisters noticed just how many items of value were lying around Margaret's home. The sisters had become friendly with a man by the name of William Winter who had recently arrived in Elsdon, having just been released from a spell in prison. Winter had been a criminal all his life and it ran in the family as his father and brother had been hung in 1788 for theft. Jane and Eleanor told him of the frail old lady living in a remote location with a home full of items that could easily be sold for a tidy sum. Winter took no convincing and the three of them hatched a plan. The 29th of August 1791 was a particularly stormy night. The perfect night to rob an unsuspecting old lady with no chance of anyone else being in the area in such foul weather. Jane and Eleanor hid just out of sight as Winter knocked upon the door. The old lady answered, surprised to have a visitor at this late hour in such bad weather. The soaked stranger shivered as he explained that he was not from the area and he'd lost his way out in the storm trying to find his lodgings. The ever-trusting Margaret didn't hesitate to invite the stranger in out of the rain and into the warmth of her home. No sooner was he inside than Winter launched an attack on Margaret, hitting her so hard that he fractured her skull, killing her in an instant. The two sisters dashed inside. And the three of them gathered up everything of value that they could before making their escape. Because of the isolated location of Margaret's home, the three criminals thought they would be safe to stay in Elston for another day or two before moving on. However, this proved to be a fatal mistake. The storm had passed and the trio were sat on a hillside in lovely weather when an eleven year old shepherd called Robert Hindmarsh happened upon them. They exchanged pleasantries, but Robert noticed that Winter was cutting up an apple that he was eating, and he was using a very distinctive knife, a knife that he knew belonged to Margaret Crozier. He told the police of this. The body of Margaret was quickly discovered, and Winter and the Clark sisters were arrested. The three were executed at the Westgate in Newcastle on the 10th of August 1792. The corpses of the sisters were given to a local surgery, to be dissected in the name of medical studies. Regarding Winter's remains, it was decided that due to the outrage of the people of Elsdon over the death of the much-loved Margaret Crozier, an example should be made. His body was returned to Elsdon in a cart, where it was hung in a gibbet cage at Whiskershields Common, three miles to the south of the village. His corpse was left there for all to see, and for the animals and the insects to feast upon, until all that was left was his skeleton. At this point his bones were scattered within a 100 metres of the gibbet, and his skull was sent to a Mr. Darnell in Newcastle. Who Mr. Darnell was, and what happened to William Winter's skull, is lost to time. The site of Winter's jibber today is not at the original site. This replica was erected in 1867 at the request of Sir Walter Trevian of Wallington Hall. It originally was complete with a wooden version of William Winter, but this was removed when the body was getting used for target practice. This left just his head dangling from the Macabre Monument, and this would regularly be stolen, being replaced time and time again, until eventually it wasn't, and now nothing hangs from Winter's gibbet. The ghost of William Winter is seen late at night at the site of the replica gibbet. This is peculiar as he didn't die here, nor was the original gibbet at this spot. Even more unusual, Is that the most common location of sightings of William Winter's restless spirit is at a cattle grid near Harwood Forest, roughly a hundred meters from where the replica gibbet now stands. Those who claim to have encountered the terrifying ghost of William Winter have described a skeletal phantom with putrid green flesh and hollow eye sockets covered in rusty chains. Perhaps some of his bones ended up in Harwood Forest as many late-night visitors to the forest have encountered a groaning sound followed by a distinctive shuffling of feet and the rattle of chains. The ghost of Margaret Crozier is altogether more benign. It has been claimed that she still haunts Raw Peel Tower, which is now part of Raw Peel Farm. Her spirit is said to be often seen walking between the farm buildings after dark. She is also blamed for doors and windows suddenly swinging open. Visitors to Elsden may also find that St Cuthbert's church is a worthwhile visit. This 14th century church was one of the sites where St Cuthbert's body rested on its travels, following the monks of Lindisfarne fleeing the Holy Island in 875 AD, due to Viking raids. They took with them holy relics, including the coffin containing St Cuthbert's remains. Between 1810 and 1877 more than 100 skeletons were unearthed along the north wall of the church. Analysis shows that all of the skeletons were male and aged below 50. So this has led to the belief that these were casualties from the Battle of Otterburn. Beyond the north wall of the churchyard are believed to be more burial grounds. This is due to the unevenness of the ground. Victorian historian Robert Hugill suggested these could be plague pits. Way back on the 8th of September 2004, I visited Winters Gibbet after dark with my younger brother Tom, and our good friend Ryan Elwell, and we were in search of the murderer William Winter. Neither Tom nor Ryan had ever been on a paranormal investigation before. It was a lovely evening, despite the summer quickly heading towards its end for another year. By the time we set off north on the A1 dual carriageway at 8.30pm, darkness had set in, and there was now the hint of a chill in the air. We chatted as I drove. The two new ghost hunters were very excited about what lay ahead, and they were laughing and joking about what may happen when we reach our destination. I was a little concerned that they may not be taking it quite as seriously as I had hoped. But I knew once we reached Winter's gibbet, miles from anything or anyone, it would immediately appear a completely different prospect, and if they didn't yet know what potentially lay in store for them, they soon would. Ryan told us as we chatted that earlier this very day he was sitting in his bedroom at home and his door was completely shut. All of a sudden it violently swung open and an icy chill filled his room on this very very warm day. He went on to suggest that maybe his house could be haunted as he knew that the previous owner had been an elderly lady who died in the house. Pretty soon we would left the busy A1 and we were on the much quieter A696 heading through the country roads and as we left civilization behind us, slowly but surely it got darker. Then fog descended, and it was a struggle even to see the road in front of us, despite me having my fog lights on. A large owl flew right in front of the car, which set the mood for what was in store when we reached this dark place of murder and death. All the way there the fog would suddenly stop, and it would be perfectly clear, but then the fog would once more appear, getting thicker and thicker, then it would simply vanish again, I thought nothing of this at the time, but I've since read a book by Alan Robson, who had a late night radio show called Night Owls for over 40 years on local radio in the Northeast, and he was famous throughout the region for his ghost related shows, and he actually sent me on my first ever paranormal investigation as part of his Halloween 2002 show. And in this book, called Grizzly Tales and Ghostly Tales, Alan wrote of exactly the same thing happening around Winter's Gibbet, a thick fog descending, then suddenly disappearing. As we exited the fog for the final time Ryan pointed out just how clear the sky was and how it was a blanket of stars. Tom commented on just how far into the wilderness of the Northumberland countryside we'd gone. I was driving us along dark narrow winding lanes and the newcomers weren't laughing or joking anymore. They realised that we were heading into the middle of nowhere in absolute darkness. Earlier Tom had confidently said That he'd be more than happy to go and spend time at the cattle grid all alone where William Winters ghost is most commonly seen, but he was now keen to make sure that we were all well aware that this was no longer part of his plan. I parked up in a lay by opposite the field in which Winters gibbet stands and when I stopped the engine and the headlights went out we were plunged into absolute darkness. We stepped out into the night and I looked up to the heavens. The previously clear sky was now shrouded in dark clouds. An hour earlier we'd been back in the fairly heavy populated towns and villages in which we lived. But now we were completely alone. We were likely to be the only people for miles around. We headed into the field opposite, unsure of exactly where the gibbet stood. I'd been here before, but it was so dark, it was a completely different prospect at night. However the gibbets situated only 120 feet or 36 metres from the road so scanning the area with a torch soon revealed the grisly monument to us. We headed into the field and pretty soon we found it. When we reached it we all appreciated just how huge it was. It stands 18 feet or almost five and a half metres tall with an eerie looking head hanging right above us. There was total silence except the occasional sound of a sheep in the distance. It wasn't cold, it was a warm evening, and I was feeling fine. My companions both seemed to be doing okay, but were perhaps a little apprehensive when I suggested we walked further into the darkness, through another field, towards where I guessed the cattle grid lay. We headed into the next field and carefully followed the fence towards the road, and the cattle grid area. The ground was uneven, as we would somehow lost the footpath, ...and we were stumbling and falling about all over the place. Ryan pointed out that we were walking through a farmer's field in the dead of night. We could easily be shot at by the farmer... ...or there could be bulls in the field who just might fancy impaling us on their horns. We saw a car go past in the distance... ...and it dawned on me just how far away the road was. We decided to turn back, go to the car and head along the road... ...as I knew you could reach the cattle grid easily that way... ...and it seemed far more sensible... It was at this point that I heard something. I told everyone to shut up. Tom then confirmed what I thought I'd heard. I heard a whistle, he whispered. That was exactly what I'd heard. Why would anyone else be out here, alone, with no torch? Could it be an animal? What animal's whistle? It sounded pretty close. I was fairly confident that whatever it was was in the field with us. We turned around and we headed back to the car. Everyone was in more of a hurry to make the return journey, running off ahead because nobody wanted to be at the back. In the end, it was decided that I should be at the back, although we all know from horror films that it's always the one at the back who dies first. We got back to the car, and even though the cattle grid's only 100 metres away, I decided to drive us there because I figured I could use the car's headlights to illuminate the area. ACDC's Highway to Hell played through the car speakers as I drove us, and shortly afterwards, we'd reached the cattle grid where the ghost of William Winter is said to be seen. We got out of the car and I took some photos. On one of them there's hundreds of tiny orbs. I would say it's likely to be some kind of precipitation hanging in the air, but I took three photos in quick succession, and on the one before and immediately after, there's nothing. In the distance there was a strange light, it looked like car headlights changing direction rapidly but it was changing direction far too fast to be a car or a motorbike. We were standing around quietly and it was the kind of place you'd expect something bad to happen. And it did. There was a farmhouse not far away and from it came the loudest blood curdling scream you could ever imagine. We were sure it came from the farmhouse and we all jumped. This was followed immediately afterwards by a howl, which sounded like a wolf, but it was probably a dog. The scream sounded human, but to be honest I wasn't sure. I doubt an animal could make that noise, and it was unbelievably loud. The farmhouse was on private land, so there was no way we could go and investigate further. We were on edge, just waiting for the scream to happen again. However, it was now completely silent. I marvelled at the sky above, which was now completely clear and it was incredible. We were out in the countryside where the sky is not impacted from the effects of light pollution. I leaned back on my car and I watched the stars. I saw two slow moving stars in the sky, shooting stars perhaps, maybe it was UFOs, but that was probably wishful thinking. My focus shifted back to the investigation at hand. I scanned the area with my torch, desperately hoping for a lead. ''Come on,'' I said quietly to myself. ''Come on, Winter, show your...'' I hadn't even finished my sentence when I was interrupted by Ryan. ''I've just seen a figure,'' he said solemnly. I looked at him. He clearly wasn't kidding. ''I saw something at the cattle grid,'' he continued. ''I saw it too,'' said Tom. I looked at them both in turn. They both looked white with fear. Clearly they'd seen something. ''But what?'' We all watched the cattle grid. There was nothing there. It was silent. Could this be their imagination? This was the first time either of them had ever been in this situation. If one had seen it, I'd said almost certainly imagination. But both of them claimed to see someone or something. Perhaps even the ghost of William Winter himself. A few minutes later, Ryan and Tom led me to where they'd seen it. Ryan recreated what he'd seen. Walking slowly from one side of the road to the other. He then said out loud, Show your face, you fing loser. Not a great idea, I immediately thought to myself. Antagonising things we really don't understand. It isn't how I would recommend going about any of these things, but then again, the now late Derek Acora of Most Haunted does it all the time, and he claimed to be able to talk to spirit. We stayed a little longer desperately hoping for this figure to make another appearance, or do something, but without anything happening, and it getting late, we decided to call it a night. Just after I started driving us back towards home, a large bat flew in front of the car, which was a good end to the evening I thought, but this didn't turn out to be the end of our evening. Everyone was excitedly chatting about what we would experienced tonight, I then told Ryan some stories about where it is believed that spirits have followed people home from a haunted location he looked a little worried and he instantly regretted challenging winter to show himself. We passed a sign for Bolum Lake Country Park and I suddenly had a thought. Who's up for a Bigfoot hunt? I asked. Both Tom and Ryan immediately said yes. So to Bolum Lake we headed in search of the Beast of Bolum Lake which was a Bigfoot-like creature that made national news following a spate of encounters in 2002. But that's an episode of the podcast for another day. With regard to the scream we heard coming from the farmhouse, I received an email two years later that made me believe that maybe it didn't come from the farmhouse at all. I received an email in June 2006 from a UK based researcher in cryptozoology which is the study of big cats and other unusual monsters and he informed me that the nearby Harwood Forest is said to be occupied by a Sasquatch type creature and what we'd heard could have been its cry which is said to sound like a dog's bark turning into a fading scream. The researcher in question was one of the first people to see the Beast of Bolum Lake. The scream definitely seemed to come from the farmhouse, but Harwood Forest is incredibly close to where we were, so it's definitely food for thought. In 2019 I received an email from Neil Jackson, a keen amateur photographer from Annick, which is a little over 20 miles away from Winters Gibbet. He told me that he'd been out taking photographs across Northumberland one lovely summer's day earlier that year, just him and his camera. He was near Elsdon and decided to pop by the gibbet to take a few photographs against the background of a totally perfect blue summer sky. He parked up in the little lay by opposite, much the same as we'd done 15 years earlier, and when he got out of his car he looked towards Winter's gibbet and there was somebody stood at the bottom of it, staring up. He grabbed his camera and crossed the deserted country road and entered the field. He secretly wished the person, who he could now tell was a man, would leave as they were in the way of his shot. But he was in no rush as he had no plans whatsoever for the afternoon other than exploring the beautiful county of Northumberland. So he decided to go and take a closer look at the monument. Then he could get some photographs as he returned to the car. He walked slowly towards the gibbet, he was having a great day. He could hear birdsong, he could feel the warmth of the summer sun on his face. But then a chill passed right through him, and he stopped dead in his tracks. The man he'd seen hadn't moved at all since he'd got out of the car. He'd simply been stood, with his back to Neil, staring up towards where a stone head once hung. And right before Neil's eyes, he just vanished in an instant. When Neil regained his sense as he ran to the gibbet, wondering if he'd imagined it, and instead maybe the man had walked round to the rear of the wooden monument and was hidden from sight. However, his fears were confirmed. He was simply no longer there. Thank you for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod, or over on Instagram at howhauntedpod, where you will see photos galore relating to Windows gibbet. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at wwwhow or you can email me directly at rob at hauntedcom Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like, and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get access to exclusive episodes where you can join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. There's six episodes of this nature waiting for you right now. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to support the podcast, why not donate £2 and buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and on the website if you've enjoyed this episode if enjoy is the right word then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice it really does help other people to find how haunted next time out we head to cornwall and to a location that requires no introduction an 18th century coach inn popular with smugglers and famed the world over today for its ghosts not only will we look at the history and haunting of this old inn but I will talk to the person who leads the paranormal investigations that are frequently held there. But is it as haunted as we would be led to believe? Let's find out together next week in the first of a two-part special looking at the Jamaica Inn. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time where we will once again ask the question How Haunted?